So uh, those who follow Jesus, we need to understand we have uh, the honor, uh, the blessing of extending his kingdom and his name. Uh, and so we are actually called to share in what he is doing around us. So in this passage, what we're going to see is some common aspects, uh, what the apostles do as they share the message, and I think what we're supposed to do today. So when Jesus trusts us, when he encourages us to carry the message, to carry out his mission, he's actually entrusting us with some pretty amazing things. And so the first thing I want you to understand is this, that we actually share in the mission of Jesus. Now, obviously, we're not talking about the cross. We're talking about his mission up to this point. What he has been doing, he actually asked his disciples to do the same. Let me read that, that uh, verse, beginning verse 6 there. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, okay? That's Jesus' ministry. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. So you notice they, at this point, have been given authority that they didn't have before. And so after discipling and mentoring the twelve for an extended period of time, don't know how long, but it's been quite a while as he's been teaching them, it's now time for them to actually get their feet wet. And that's really the pattern. After you've been taught the gospel, and after you've been taught and grow, it's time to get your feet wet. There should never be any Christian who has been a Christian, say, 20 years, that's never had a ministry, or never exerted and, and, and used their gifts in ministry. That's not the pattern of the New Testament that is, that is totally foreign to what the gospel teaches. After training, you're called to, to go. So that's exactly what Jesus did. He, He's really asking them to move on to the next level, to no longer just be taken in and growing, but now to give out and help others grow as well. So learning from the master should progress toward a time when we engage in serving others for the master. Learning from should always go to learning to, in order to serve people for the master. If that's not a pattern in your life, you need to kind of step back and go, okay, how is my life balanced? Am I taking in and am I giving out? Or am I just taking in, kind of sucking in and, and learning? That's great. Do that and do that as much as possible. But there's also the aspect of, of serving. Because Jesus has called us to share his mission. Uh, one aspect of this mission is this idea of team ministry. Team ministry is the best option. And you notice that Jesus sends them out two by two, not one by one. Normally we think in our culture, one by one is, is much better. Because uh, you can cover more ground, right? So you send out people everywhere. But Jesus didn't do that. He decided to send people out two by two. He sends them out as a team. And there are several reasons for this, these teams. Number one, it's safer and it's wiser. In the ancient world, it was uh, dangerous to go one by one. So he sent them out two by two. And notice he let them take their staff. So I'll cover this a little bit later. Staff was for walking and also for clubbing people with, right? It was a protective instrument and animals as well. Uh, lone rangers, lone ranger Christians are easy targets for the evil one. We see this all the time with church leadership. Single pastors who are doing it on their own and they, they fall, right? Because they have no accountability. There's no team around them. And so Jesus wants them two by two so they're not the easy targets for temptation, evil one. Also, the gifting of two people um, is much better than the gifting of one person, right? So when you enter into a ministry situation, not always can the gifts of one person meet the needs of that situation. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4.9, right? The two are better than one. It doesn't only apply to marriage. We always apply to marriage. It applies to team ministry in general. 
two people are better than one person in ministry. You have a multiplicity of gifts and talents. Guess what? Three people are better than two people. That's kind of how it works. The more you can get involved in ministry, the greater that team grows. And as long as there's unity within that team, then it's much, much better than just one. And also, and this we'll see that there's also this, this pattern that we get from the Old Testament that two witnesses at least are required to verify any judgment when it's needed. And here Jesus asks them to verify judgment at the end. That's from 2 Corinthians 13, uh, 1. That you need two or three to verify any judgment. When we do that, we, when we verify a judgment, whatever that is, it's as if Jesus is there. We have that authority. Uh, so it's a very, very dangerous thing to actually call down judgment on someone because we're acting in the stead of God and we could blow it, right? So it's a dangerous and, and solemn thing. So team ministry, we've talked about this at length before when we talked about in 2 Timothy, but team ministry is the norm in the scriptures. Very rarely, uh, almost I can maybe think of one example. I have to check on that one. That there's only one leader. There's always two, right? Uh, Moses and I mean, you just kind of go through it, right? There's always someone that, uh, and then with Moses and Aaron, right? They have to bring in a woman. That's going to balance it out because guys are dumb sometimes. So you find that throughout Scripture, there's always this team ministry for accountability and building uh, each other up. Moses had a speech problem, right? So he's the speaker. So they bring in Aaron until Moses was trained enough to actually take on enough faith to believe God and what he can do. We see that all the time. So lone ministers, please don't fire me after this message. Lone ministers and pastors are not the norm. This, this is really a new thing. You have this single guy standing in front of the church and all power is invested in me. Listen to me. And y'all go, oh, good, good sermon, pastor, right? That's not the norm. It's team ministry. We, we just we went to Timothy, right? This idea that, he, that Paul went around and set up elders, plural, right? Not elder, elders, right? And so the, the norm for New Testament ministry is the team. That's why we have a board of elders now to tell me when I'm off base. Thank you. Again, that was Helena, right? Yeah. Yeah, I got that one. So, and, and there's a theological reason behind that. Primarily, we're a body, right? And bodies work together, right? If we just saw our hands flapping around up here, we go, oh, gross, we run away. When we see a pastor trying to do it on his own, we go, oh, very good. What, what a wonderful man that is. No, don't do that to your pastors, right? Don't. If you put too much pressure on them, and they weren't meant to have all that. It was supposed to be shared. We are the body. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry according to Ephesians. So uh, this is what Jesus is beginning to pattern here. That it's not just about Jesus. Right? He's God incarnate. And it wasn't just about him. He begins to send others out to do his ministry. To teach and to, to heal and to, to uh, drive out the, the, the spiritual forces of darkness. So team ministry is always, always the best option. Again, small churches is not always an option we can do, right? Sometimes when church stops, we have to train leaders, that type of stuff. So, but it's always what we're shooting towards because that is the norm in the New Testament. The other thing I think we, that Christians we don't realize today is that we are given authority. And the authority that we have is the authority of Jesus. Remember the Great Commission? 
all authority I have. Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven. All authority is mine. He says, go, therefore. Right? That's, he's commissioning us with his authority once again. Um, he gives these disciples authority over demons and, and unclean spirits and all these, these powers of darkness. And the 12 were appointed as his representatives. That's why they had his authority. The 12, as we are, are extensions of King Jesus. We are extensions of Jesus the King. When we speak, we speak hopefully his words and not our own. In the ancient world, a person's representatives were viewed as the person themselves. So if I sent someone as my representative, they were welcomed as me. And if you disrespected my representative, you were disrespecting me. And if I was a king, I would probably go take over your country, something like that. But what happened in the ancient world? You, representatives were exactly an image of the king, right? Um, we, we see this in 2 Corinthians 5. We are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. That's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. God's appeal doesn't come through angels, right? It comes through us. When we go to someone and we, we share the gospel with, with our lives or with our words directly, we are appealing to them. Jesus is using us as his hands, his feet, his mouthpiece for the salvation of, the, of those people. Uh, this is an amazing thing. So Jesus sends us out to share his mission. He gives us uh, a team to work with, so we unify unto the gospel, and then he gives us authority to do amazing things we can't do on our own power. The second thing I want you to notice, too, regarding this mission of Jesus that we share it is that dependence on Jesus alone is essential. <clears throat> Emphasis on the word alone. If we're not depending on him alone, then we're going to suffer. And what we, who we usually depend on is ourselves, right? Our own power, our own talents, our own gifting, right? That's not spiritual. Um, sometimes we, we um, depend on, on um, systems of the world to get our message out, those type of things. And it's okay to use those things, take those things under the authority of Christ, but we don't depend on those things. The difference between uh, using and depending on. And so these were his instructions, verse 8. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. So basically what Jesus is saying here, you need to organize your life around the mission that I'm sending you on. Organize your life around the gospel's call. When you go on this mission, when you go in, in my step, step, when you're sharing in my mission, then I want you to organize your, your life so that gospel is effective as it goes out. A staff was used, as I mentioned before, for walking over hard terrain. So the assumption is you're going to need a staff. You're not just going to be in cities walking to the paved streets. You're going to be going across country, town to town to town. So you need your staff. You also, when you go town to town to town, there's going to be people that are going to take advantage of you. Animals are going to try to eat you. There were lions and bears. No tigers. So, but... Right, so and so you were attacked. People died in the wilderness because it was a wilderness. There were no highways or interstates or even even dirt roads. You just walked across the land to the nearest city. Um, food? No, no food. Don't bring any food with you. And the bag he's talking about is a, a bag to carry food. So in essence, he's saying your food is going to be provided along the way, like like manna. Um, the belt, the money belt, wasn't like you have today. You open, you get a little zipper. 
what he's talking about, you'd wrap your belt around your waist and you'd make folds in your clothes and you'd wrap them over and you'd hold money in the folds of your clothes. That's your money belt. That's the kind of idea. So you, you would fold your money, because there were coins basically, into your, into your clothing as you wrapped your belt around you. But you didn't need that. You need to simplify your life. Your provisions would come from God's grace as you ministered to people and as they accepted your message, they would show you hospitality. And you would go place to place to place and accept people's hospitality as you shared the message with them. You would live off the gospel of God's grace. To be effective in God's work, it applies today, we must do, what, do it unencumbered with no excess baggage that could impede our mission. So in this case, he's saying you need to be quick and spelt and go. Today, we encumber ourselves with so much. If you're like me, to be honest, I do not always organize my life around the gospel. Uh, I have tons of baggage that keeps me from sharing my faith and doing things that I should. Most of them, to be honest, in the Western world revolves around our use of money and our resources. And we just we just have so if you're like me, right? I, I, I live in the parsonage and I have a house in the cave. Do you know how much junk I have? Right? And I'm a slave to my junk. You know, I have the dehumidifier going so my junk doesn't rot, and I gotta have the thing that humidify upstairs so my oven doesn't dry it. So much money and resources spent on junk when there are people starving to death today. And and we're worried about you know what kind of clothes we're gonna wear, whether it's gonna impress the next person. And and we we we're carrying the extra cloak. That idea that wear not extra shirt is really don't bring a change of clothes, right? You, you just need, you need to, it's so important, it's so necessary. You just need to get going now. Just grab your staff and go because the gospel has to get out. Um, we need to realize that our mission is one of life and death for our hearers. So we have to go in radical faith and independence upon God. Our goal in life, Christians, our goal in life should not be to travel first class any place we go. That should not be our goal in life. We should be very lean in how we live. And I'm speaking to myself as well. I didn't like this passage very convicting. Um, want to avoid it and say it's not that important and move on to the next, you know? What's going on here theologically, I think is really cool. There's this idea of a new exodus in the beginning. Jesus is using some terms that this new exodus is beginning. Uh, Jesus doesn't want them to make their ministry a, a means for accumulating stuff. This was the pattern. You have these itinerant preachers who would go place to place and say, I got the secret news from God. Give me a few dollars here, feed me some food, and I'll tell you the secret. And people went around and they made a living like that. And Jesus is saying, that's not you. You're, not, you're going to be a servant. You're not going to come and be served. So the 12 are told to, uh, to do some things that are identical to what God told the Hebrews to do in their flight from Egypt. Listen to this. This is from Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. This is how you are to eat it. Talking about the Passover meal. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Go. You've got to get out of it. It's imperative. Because you're going to be free from slavery. Be ready as fast as you can to, to live into your freedom. And Deuteronomy 18 contains this prophecy pointing to Jesus. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, as Moses, from among you.
from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And so this is that time that Moses is prophesying about. And the idea is the emphasis is on faith to God to provide for what they need in this passage. There was going to be the new manna. They didn't need to carry a food bag because God was going to provide every day what they needed for their basic necessity. And they were to go because the mission was urgent. And this new exodus that Jesus leads is freedom from the slavery to sin. This is what Jesus is leading up to. If we trust and are totally dependent on him for his provision, and that's ultimately, obviously, at the cross. So this new exodus Jesus is proclaiming, it has begun. People are about to be freed from the slavery of sin once and for all. This is a new exodus, and the disciples have been entrusted. God is saying, look, I believe in you. You guys are so messy. You have no idea what's going on right now. Some of you kind of have an inkling of who I am. Some of you have no idea. Nevertheless, I'm going to entrust you with this ministry. Go and be me to the world, whoever I am to you. Just go do it. Don't worry about you have all the theology, right? Don't worry that you have everything, all, all your I's dot, all your T's crossed. Just go do it now. That's how important it is. Go and do it. It's beginning. The time is now for the new exodus to begin. If you don't do it, you're going to be left behind. So this dependence on Jesus is essential. If we're depending on ourselves and try to accumulate things to help us and don't get the urgency first, then we're trusting ultimately in something else besides him. We're dependent upon something else besides him. The disciples were going out in this, this lack of theological knowledge, but all they knew was if they didn't depend upon Jesus, they would fail. And so they were determined to depend on him. The third thing is to be strategic we talk about this a lot. I see strategy throughout the scriptures. Nothing is uh, arbitrary. Verse 10. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off, you, off your feet as a testimony against them. So the first thing is a little clarification. This command means that when they enter a house after arriving in a village, they're not supposed to leave that house until they depart from the village. You just stay in the house. What, what are they talking about there? And some of our translation, that's, that's the impression given because that's the literal translation, very, very wooden. Uh, but the meaning is whenever you enter a house as a guest, right, you're, you're going to, to uh, impose upon someone. They're going to show you hospitality. Don't change that residence until you leave that town. You can go outside the house. You can do ministry in the town. But don't leave that residence once you're welcomed in as a guest. Why? Well, when you find a receptive home, stay there until your work is done. Again, what these itinerant preachers would do, they'd get welcome to the home, and they would, get, they would get fed maybe some bread and water. They were very thankful. And then they would maybe teach in the, in the courtyard. Well, I'm really impressed with this teaching. Come to my house. And they'd go to the next house to get some meat. And the former people would be offended by that movement. And the, the itinerant preacher, false prophet, would go house to house trying to build his way up to get more and more money, more and more blessing for himself. And Jesus is saying, don't impose yourself upon multiple households just to get nicer accommodations. That's not what's going on with you. You're going to go and you're going to serve. You're going light. You're going nothing but your staff. Now, this is not a pleasure tour for you disciples. Adequacy is your goal. Okay? Survival is your goal because your message is much more important than you. It's not something that... You can kind of go and make a, a living out of it. Be, be grateful for what you have. Don't dishonor the kindness of a lesser home just to move yourself up. By the way, 
again, picking on myself and people like me. I know pastors that do this all the time. Now, I think I shared a story with you before. Um, I know a pastor in a certain church who had his church take out a humongous loan and convinced them to take out a loan to build their building larger, right? And they did that. It was like a million-dollar loan. Big. And then the pastor got a call to another church with a bigger paycheck, right? And so he God called him to another place. No, God did not call him to another place for a bigger paycheck. He should have stayed there because he convinced that church to get the loan. Pastors do that all the time. By the way, not only by me, people, normal people, do it all the time too, right? We go, we change jobs. We have maybe someone that's close to the Lord, right? And we're sharing with them, ministering to them, and then we take a job someplace else for a bigger paycheck. Maybe we're called to do it, maybe not. But are we aligning our lives under the gospel, or are we just moving house to house for a bigger paycheck? We, we need to rethink how we, uh, what the agenda of our lives look like, whether we're lay person or, or professional minister. Um, God wants us to be transparent. He wants us to share life with people. He wants us to live in community. He wants us to show integrity. Um, and then he says this very confusing thing to, to our culture. When a Jew went into a town, a heathen town, what they would do to show their disgust, they would shake off their feet. You're a pagan town. As a, as a pious Jew, I should have nothing to do with your paganism. And Jesus is, is saying, I want you to do that as well when someone rejects the gospel. When the town rejects the gospel, as a witness to them that their choice is a very solemn choice, I want you to, to do that because it symbolizes probably a few things. Number one, the place was declared to be pagan. They want nothing to do with God. They rejected the gospel. Uh, there would be no further contact with that place. Jesus is saying that they had their chance. The door of the ark is now closed in that place. There are towns like Chorazin and later on Capernaum in his own hometown that Jesus apparently never went back to again. They had their chance. Uh, and then also the messengers had to show that the messengers had done their job. They had preached the gospel completely. They hadn't left anything out. hadn't left anyone out. It was a complete job. And now they're shaking their hands of any further responsibility to share the gospel because they did their work there. It doesn't mean we, we do it, we go, oh, I did an okay job, so I'm done with you. We move on. That's not it. Paul said, he was very confident when he preached the gospel to all of Asia, that there's no blood on my hands. I have completely shared the gospel to all of Asia. And so we need to understand that we will be rejected by some people. There will be times with a broken heart that we need to warn other people from the dangers of rejecting Christ, and judgment is at their door. And it's a very solemn thing to do. The fourth thing really quickly is uh, going is required, verse 12. They went out and preached that people should repent. They went out uh, and they drove many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and Gail killed them. Again, our mission mirrors Jesus' mission. It's the same mission. Uh, the final two verses summarize the apostles' mission. Uh, Jesus went out with authority, went out with, to teach, and, and he, he anointed people, excuse me, he, he healed people, and he he drove up demons, and then the same thing is happening here. They were to go as servants. They were not to compromise the message, even if it brought uh, rejection and persecution to their lives. They were mirroring Jesus' mission, everything they did. And they had to have the courage to share the gospel completely, not shirk back when, when pressure came. I want you to notice, too, that repentance is a key component of the gospel. Uh, and full repentance. 
So repentance is the first word out of John the Baptist's mouth. It's also the first word out of Jesus and the apostles in Acts 2.38. It's an important component of the gospel that we cannot forget. Repentance is not just turning away from sin. We're all taught that. Repentance is when you, once you turn away from sin. True. But that's half of repentance. That's only half. If you've heard that repentance is turning away from sin, you get half the story. It's turning away from sin and turning to God. There's two turns, not just one. How do I know that? Because Acts 20, 21 says it directly. I, Paul says, I uh, have declared to both Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't only turn from our sin, we also commit ourselves to following Jesus, to align ourselves with him. It's not just saying, sin's bad, I can go do whatever I want, right, because I'm forgiven. No, you get to turn to God, not just from sin. Repentance is rooted in the hatred of sin. We have to hate our sins and see it as God sees it. And it's a joyful awareness that God's loving kindness will take care of all our needs. And that leads to even to a greater and greater joy. Uh, again, Romans 2, for God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So when we share the gospel, we have to tell people to repent. And people will not like that. They won't. They think they're okay, and they're not. And more and more today, people are accepting sin and brokenness as just normal. Everyone goes to a counselor. I have a problem with that. You need to go. But I'm saying it's just a way our society is. Everyone's brokenness, okay to be broken. We're not meant to be broken. We're meant to be repaired. Right? And only Jesus can do this. So we've got to point people to repentance. I get a whole section on anointing with oil here, but I'm going to skip that. If you have a question about it, that'll be more more long than we uh, just asking about it. Um, application: three things, real quick. We are God's only choice as ambassadors. The only choice. There's no other option, no plan B. We are God's A team, right? Uh, that we're His only team. This is First Corinthians five, verse eleven and verse twenty. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. And then verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We are God's only choice as ambassadors. You and I have a responsibility to grow as disciples and to go as ambassadors. Both those things. To grow and to go. You are responsible for you. I mentioned this last week or the week before. Not my job to grow you, it's your job. It's not anybody else's job to grow you, that's your job. You are responsible for you. To live life without the call to be in Christ's ambassador is disobedience. Hear me, it's disobedience. I'm not going to soften that at all. If you think your job is just to become a Christian and love God and worship God and come to church and that's all you do, that's disobedience. Right? You have a responsibility, a role in the family, and that part of that role is to be Christ's ambassador. Number two, successful life requires complete dependence on God. If you want a biblically successful life, it requires dependence on Him. Um, human provision is always limited. Um, the thing is, that thing is especially true when it comes to fulfilling our calling. We're limited in helping God in our own power. We can depend on our talents, 
and our resources and experience and probably accomplish a bunch of good things comparatively to other people, right? Because many of us are very talented, some very talented and, and blessed people in this congregation. But we're not called to accomplish good things, we're called to accomplish God things. Things that are beyond our talents, beyond our own power, beyond our own wits. And the only complete, depend, only complete dependence on Him will bring success in our lives that matters to God. The more you depend on Him, the greater you will be. The more you depend on Him, the greater you will be. The more you depend on you, the more pitiful you will be. Uh, Mark 10, Jesus says this, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And so we become great, we become successful by serving others, by being dependent upon him for everything we need and streamlining our lives. Number three, just again, a solemn warning, rejecting the gospel, which is really rejecting the goodness of God, is a very serious choice. We are presenting to people life and death. This is not just um, presenting people whether they should eat vanilla or chocolate ice cream. This is a very solemn choice. Shaking off their feet ultimately symbolizes that God's divine judgment awaited them. God's divine judgment awaits people outside of Christ. So shaking off your feet is a very solid thing to do. We must never forget that people without Christ are condemned already. People without Jesus are condemned already. They are objects of wrath just as we once were without Christ. The only difference is what Jesus has done for us. And he has turned it around. He closed John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This mission that God has called us to, to mirror, to partner with him, is a serious thing. And we need to streamline our lives in order that we might do the most effective job we can depending on.